Well, today we're going to be starting a, our new series. We just finished looking at the book of Ephesians. Who loved studying the book of Ephesians? And today we're looking at a new series that we've called You've Got Mail. And it's the seven decisions that we need to make to be the church. And uh, we're looking at the seven letters that were written to the seven churches in uh, the beginning of the book of Revelation. And uh, today is a nice segue into this new series. We're actually going to look at the first letter, surprisingly, which is the letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. And uh, at the time that this letter was written, the church was about 40 years old. So they believe about 30 years after Paul wrote the original letter to the church at Ephesus. And uh, we're just going to have a quick look at a video now that gives us a bit of background about the church and has a look at the scripture that we're reading today. The first letter that is written in Revelations 2 is to the church at Ephesus. Now, if you think of Ephesus in today's times, you can think of modern-day Turkey. At the time that the letter was written, uh, Ephesus had a population of about 225,000, and it had a huge harbour. It was a bustling city. It was a melting pot of people. You can think of our New York City. It was a place where everyone came and it was world-class. A lot of the visitors actually came to see the uh, Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Ephesus was also home for the Apostle Paul. For three years, he lived and based his ministry out of Ephesus. And that's where a lot of his uh, evangelistic work was um, taken place from. In Revelations 2, we see the main message was the city was praised for its good works and worked hard and um, it was really committed to the cause of the church. But then there came a warning that they had forsaken their first love. In Revelations 2 we read, I write this to the church at Ephesus. I see what you've done, your, your work, your hard work and your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil and that you weed out apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause, and that you never wear out. But you walked away from your first love. Why? What is going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? A Lucifer fall. Turn back. Recover your dear early love. No time to waste, for I am well on my way to removing your light from the golden circle. You do have this to your credit, though. You hate the Nicolaitan business, and I hate it too. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. I'm about to call each conqueror to dinner. I'm spreading a banquet of tree of life fruit, a supper plucked from God's orchard. Awesome. So that's a little bit of a background on the city of Ephesus where this church was that uh, Jesus wrote a letter to through John the Revelator. And uh, it was remembered or or I guess almost chastised as the church that did great works but had forgotten its first love. It had lost the passion that it had in the beginning for love and relationship to Jesus Christ. And now it had fallen into a pattern of just doing good works and good things, but forgetting that initial passion and love that they had for Jesus. And, and in preparing for this, it made me think about many, many years ago when Mel and I first started dating. And in particular, uh, her first birthday that we spent together. And uh, she's looking at me very nervously because I haven't 
you know, submitted this for approval, but we're going to go with it anyway. And uh, it was her 18th birthday, so we were quite young. And, uh, and her family had organized her this great uh, outdoor formal party at this nice house out on the lake. And uh, we're all getting dressed up and, and, you know, doing fancy things and eating nice food because European family, so it was all around food. And, uh, and so being her first birthday and we'd been dating for a couple of months, I was just absolutely fixated on making this the best birthday she'd ever had. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I remember I spent my entire salary for that week. I was, just started a full-time job on buying her presents, you know, the joys of living at home, not having to pay for anything. And I think I even borrowed petrol money off mum because I just emptied my bank account. And I bought her jewelry that matched the dress that she was wearing. I did flowers, took her out for lunch. And then on the day, I hired a limousine. Yeah. I was making it up as I went. And I, uh, I, p- I picked her up from her house and drove around the beach. And we went out and in front of all her friends and her family, you know, arrived in a limousine. First time I'd ever worn a suit. Bought it from Lowe's on sale because I didn't have any money left. I'd spent it all on a present. Had a Fred Flintstone tie because apparently that was cool. And, uh, and so I invested everything and for weeks I planned and, and came up with ideas and thought about what I was going to do and put things into place and organized all these surprises along the way and spent months working up the courage to ask a dad if I could take her in a limousine and, and all these things just so that on the day it was absolutely perfect. And I, I wanted to show you a, a photo, but we're not going to go that far of what it was like, but I thought, I thought if I showed you a photo of us standing there smiling against the limousine in my fancy low suit, um, that I would kind of be obliged to show you one, say, from last year, but last year for Mel's birthday, there were no smiles. I, uh, I let the team down after 15 years or so. And uh, the thing was, we, last year, Mel's birthday fell on a Monday, and we had a youth camp a few days before that. And so I said to her, hey, because um, we got camp on, and I'm, I'm busy doing good works, and, and it's a lot of effort, and we get back on the Sunday, how about Monday morning, I get up, and I'll take the kids shopping, and we'll get you presents, and, and we'll go out for lunch or dinner, and I'll buy you flowers and all those, you know, tick the boxes and stuff like that. And, uh, but just let me get through camp, let me get over this, and, and then I'll focus on your birthday. And I made the greatest mistake that a husband can ever make because Mel said to me, it's fine. And you got to know if you're married, not yet married or, or anything, if, if your wife says to you it's fine, she means anything but the fact that it's fine. It means the complete opposite. It means that if you go ahead and do that, you are a dead man. And it's very fortunate and very lucky that I am still standing here with you today. But her birthday that day basically consisted of me buying constant presents, because she's a gifts person, until I finally got forgiveness and mercy. So we woke up in the morning. I realized, you know what, this is not fine. Bundled the kids in the car. We went out and found the first shop. I went to Kurong. I thought if I go to Kurong, maybe God will help me more. And... um, you know, there's a CD, I think she heard that on Rima once, so let's buy the CD and the DVD, and here's a book on how to pray for your husband who's hopeless, so let's get him that. 
We went down to Glendale. I think she got two teapots, probably exactly the same. We went to Kmart. I saw a hairdryer. I thought, oh, Mel needs a hairdryer. I think she mentioned that. I didn't realize she'd bought herself a new one three weeks earlier. But I bought it anyway. I eventually got it right about three o'clock in the afternoon when I bought her a watch. And that was it. Got the smile. We were good. Off the hook. And uh, I have learnt my lesson. And uh, this year was better. But, uh, but what I realized in thinking about this church in Ephesus that lost its first love, and then the comparison of my decline and demise in emphasis on Mel's birthday, was that in the 15 years that passed between her 18th and, well, you can do the maths, I've already put myself in the, in the deep end of that, her 33rd birthday, is that I didn't love her any less last year. In actual fact, I, I would have loved her more. More faithful, more committed at her 33rd birthday than her 18th. But the difference was that during those first few months of being together, that first love, that passion that totally consumed my mind and my thinking, everything I did was focused and revolved around her. Over the years, whilst my love didn't change, I got busy doing good works. I got busy looking after kids and family and having a house and working a job and church and ministry. And I didn't love her any less, but no longer was my entire focus. No longer was I completely consumed with planning and and doing things around my love for Mel. I still love her, but that passion that you had at the very beginning had kind of gone and I was no longer focused and I I believe that this was the message that was given to the church at Ephesus well you you still love Jesus you still serve him but you're so busy doing the day-to-day things the good works that you have neglected that that love that you had when he first entered your life that love you you received when you first encountered him and he completely consumed your mind and your thoughts and everything that you did And as we look this year at being the church, and in this series, the seven decisions that we need to make to be the church, the first decision that we need to make is to remember our first love, is to get back to that stage in our life when we were so consumed and so in love with Jesus for what he'd done for us, that we just couldn't stop talking about him. We couldn't stop learning more about him. We couldn't stop being around him and telling others about him. And I believe that that's that's the message that we, need to, uh, that we need to listen to and adhere. You know, it makes no difference whether we're talking about a relationship with someone or with something. Any relationship that we neglect begins to fade away from that first love. You know that car you bought that you were going to keep clean? You were going to wash every weekend? You were never going to eat food in it. I'm not looking at you, Joel O'Day. And then two months later, you invite me into your car and I'm scraping the Macca's wrappers off the front seat trying to find somewhere to sit. Sorry, bro. It was an easy one. But you know, the the first car that you were going to clean and you're going to look after and after a while, you, you, you kind of neglect your first love. The new car smell goes. There's Macca's wrappers. It's easy to do something else on a Saturday. Your new phone that you're going to look after and keep a cover on and keep the little protective case over the front, but after a couple of months, the screen's cracked. It's not working the same. You probably didn't buy an iPhone. And, uh, 
And all these things can happen if we just fail to neglect, or rather if we neglect our first love and not be intentional in our relationship with it. And so I want to look at today, quite quickly, the three intentional behaviors that I believe we need to have as individuals and as a church to keep Jesus as our first love, to keep our passion for him on fire and our our minds and thoughts focused and consumed with him. And I'm going to look at the three kind of natural things that we have in a relationship when we first, you know, meet up with someone and, uh, and how we can use those in our relationship with Christ. But also I thought, well, let's have a look at what Paul originally told the church at Ephesus. Because around 30 years earlier before the, uh, Jesus wrote to the church and said, you've forgotten about me, Paul was writing to them and instructing them as the guy who planted and pastored the church. And so there's obviously something that's happened in those 30 years that, that they have missed and focused on the wrong things. So a few scriptures we'll have a look at in Ephesians when we head back there. You ever notice when somebody, when, when a couple first start dating, how much time they spend together? You know, if you, if you ever had that friend where he was always on call, you could ring him up and say, let's go to the movies, let's go hang out, let's go have a coffee, let's go do something, and then suddenly a significant other appears. And you got, he's got no more time, you ring him up, oh, I'm busy, I'm hanging out with such and such. I'm going to the movies with this person, but we used to go to the movies, bro, but now, no. That's all right. You go and hang out with her. But the natural thing that we want to do when we first get into a relationship with anyone, even a friendship, is to spend time together, to hang out, to get to know each other. And I believe that's the first thing that we need to do if we want to keep Jesus in the right place in our life is actually to spend time with him. It's a natural thing in human relationships to spend time with each other, to get to know them, to work out what each other likes, to make sure that you agree on the same important things in life like music. And uh, I I tested Mel because when we were first dating, I used to get in her car and she'd have terrible music on. (laughs) Like girl music, like Spice Girls and stuff like that. And so one day I, I took my own CD just put it in the, the CD player and had a listen just to make sure that she agreed with my music and that I was going to keep her around a bit longer. And um, it worked. It worked. I ended up having to listen to her music because her car was nicer than mine. But the thing is that when, when you first start a relationship with someone, the most important thing to do is to spend time with them. Because it's about getting to know them, getting to understand their heart, the things that they love, the things that that, uh, you get on with, the things that you agree with. And the same principle applies to our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're going to be the church and we want to keep our first love for him, then obviously we've got to spend time with him. We've got to spend time hearing his voice through prayer, through reading the word, spend time in his presence through worship, not just at church. But at times on our own, if the only time that we build relationship with each other is at church, then we don't have those strong relationships. And the same thing applies with our relationship with Jesus Christ. If the only time that we read his word is when we come to church, if the only time that we spend time in his presence in worship and in prayer is in this 
corporate gathering that we call church, then it's going to be hard to get to know him. It's going to be hard to keep him as our first love and keep our thoughts and our minds and our hearts and our actions consumed on him. But if we're spending time with him every single day, through prayer, through reading, through spending time worshipping while we drive, quiet times in the morning, whatever it might be, then that's the best way to spend time with him and get to know him. Paul said to the Ephesians in 5 verse 10, he said, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. You know, that, that's a great part of a relationship is knowing what pleases the other person. That's how we can keep our priorities and our focus in the right spot. But you only understand those things by spending time with them. And that's where Paul's encouragement was to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And we know that what pleases the Lord is our faith, our worship, our commitment and our sacrifice. And they're the things that we have been called to do. They're the things that we have been, that we need to do to be the church. So the first thing is to spend time with him. The second thing that I've noticed about relationships is how your thoughts become completely occupied with the other person. Now, uh, when, when Mel and I started dating, I was in the middle of my HSC, which uh, I blame her for my results, um, because my, I was under strict instructions from my parents, you know, no social life. You got nothing during HSC. This was before, you know, you could text friends and keep in contact. So I was like on total lockdown uh, to try and play catch up for the fact that I hadn't done much the rest of the year. Uh, so I was studying and then Mel came on the scene and, and so that was my great distraction during my year 12 HSC exams. And, uh, and so I thought at some point I needed to confess to my mother that I actually had been seeing Mel and even though I was on total lockdown and not meant to like even have a friend during this time, that I probably should go and confess that we'd been talking and we'd hung out a couple of times and it wasn't a couple of times, it was a lot of times. And so I sat my mum down and I said, look, I've got to tell you, mum, uh, there's this girl and I really like her, I think it could be something special. And, uh, and she said, yeah, I know, it's Melissa. And I was like, this is fantastic. Mum's obviously had some like great revelation from God about my relationship with Mel. No more questions, like this is it. I'm like, tell me, Mum, you know, were you were you praying and fasting and God showed you a picture of Mel? Did it did an angel appear while you were driving and tell you? And you know, what what happened? And she said, No, you just never shut up about talking about Mel. You're always Mel this, Mel that, Mel said this, Mel did that, Mel likes this. And that's that's the the truth, is that when you first start a relationship with someone or something, you never stop talking about that person. You're always, I love watching some of the young guys in our youth leadership team and in the youth ministry, and you're like, ah, you're dropping that girl's name a lot. Such and such this, such and such that. I'm like, ah, I know what's going on there. Because when your thoughts are totally occupied with someone else, You're always talking about them. Like if you're a car enthusiast and you get yourself a new car or you fall in love with your dream car, that person is always talking about this car. They're seeing it everywhere. They're mentioning it. Uh, They they just talk about it. Anytime 
someone gets a new gadget or a new toy that they're absolutely in love with, they spend time, they're always bringing it up, they're always talking about it, their new guitar or their new electronic device or something like that. Over and over again, they're talking about it because our natural tendency when we first fall in love with something, when we first create that relationship is to talk about it all the time. To constantly talk about it. And Paul said to the Ephesians in 4 verse 23, he said, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. And I believe a great way for us to keep Jesus, to keep that first love and that passion is to spend time with him so the Spirit can renew our thoughts and our attitudes so we're constantly thinking about him. We're constantly talking about him, that our words aren't always about the new gadget that we got or the new toy, but they're about Jesus. Because that is a great sign of when, when you're in love with someone or something or you realize the importance of someone or something that you don't stop talking about them. And if we as a church, if we as individuals are constantly having Jesus at the start of our thought, if we are constantly talking about him, referring to him, then that's a great way to keep our passion and our first love for him. Back in the, um, I think it was like the late 80s or the 90s, there was a, a, a popular but somewhat daggy little thing that went around called WWJD. Was anyone into that? Excellent, a few young people. But it, was, it stood for what would Jesus do? And the idea of it was that you would have a, an indicator or a trigger somewhere. It might be a sticker. I used to have a little wristband that had WWJD on it. And the idea was every time you were, you were out and about and, and doing something, every time you were in a crisis, every time you, you, you had a need, every time you were cut off by someone on the road, every time you hit your thumb with a hammer or stubbed your toe, that there was an indicator there that would make you think, what would Jesus do? in this situation, not what do I really want to do to that guy who just cut in front of me, but what would Jesus do? You know, those kind of things are great little indicators, and and it really comes back to what I believe Paul was telling the church at Ephesus about renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Don't let the first thing that comes into your mind be anything but what would Jesus do in this situation. Don't let it be anything but what can Jesus do right now. What answer can he give me? What healing can he bring? What, what peace to a situation can he bring into my life? And we get that firstly by spending time with him. But secondly, by allowing the spirit to renew our mind so that our thoughts are always completely occupied by him. The third thing that I have noticed is that uh, not only do you spend time together, but you can never be apart. The two people kind of become one, joined. You can never separate them. And uh, our, our youngest son, Carter, who's in here today, which he's not aware of what's going on, so that's good. Uh, he's three, and he's in, he's in preschool, and, and uh, Carter has a girlfriend. He's, he's beating me by about 15 years, which is great. And... And uh, so he's, he's got a little girlfriend at preschool, and her name is Eva. And, uh, and I, I, know, I know there's innocence in it that to him it's just a girl that's a friend. Uh, but the teachers tell us that, you know, they like to walk around with their arms around each other. 
Uh, they've been kicked out of the cubby house a couple of times, which I, <laughs> I really need to really need to bring that up with him. Um, it's all good. It's all innocent. Uh, but the other day I was, I was picking him up. Oh, and they play superheroes. He's Batman. She's Batgirl. It's perfect. She's the perfect girl for him. I was picking him up from preschool the other day, and I walked out, and he said, Dad, what, what day is it tomorrow? And I said, it's Saturday. It's the best day. Second best day. Sunday's the best. Saturday. We get to hang out and spend time together. He said, when do I go to preschool again? I said, Wednesday. You got to four, you know, we've got four days together first. And he got sad. And he dropped his head. And I said, what's wrong? Did, did something happen at preschool today? Is, is something, you know, are you all right? Did somebody say something? Did Eva not play with you? Or, or what happened? And, and he, he threw tears and spit and stuff from his nose. He, he bubbled out, I'm not going to see Eva for four days. I'm like, this is trouble. <laughs> He's three years old. Come on. I thought I had at least another 25 years before this was going to be a problem. <laughs> Sorry again, Joel. Um, <laughs> your mum started it with the pat on the shoulder. Uh, but the, the truth is that when we enter into a relationship, we get to a point where we just cannot handle being apart from each other. And there's an innocence in, in the relationship and the story of Carter. I understand that. But there's a reality about it with our own relationships. That we do get to the point where we, we cannot be separate from somebody that we love. And the same applies for our relationship with Jesus. It gets to a point where we have to become dependent on spending time with him, of being around him and not being separate from him. Uh, there's a great verse in Ephesians 1 that says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. You see, we are created to rely upon and to be united with Christ. And by keeping that in the forefront of our minds, by getting to a place where we cannot be separate from spending time with Jesus, is probably the most important key to keeping him as our first love. Keeping the passion alive in our relationship with him. Spending time with him. Allowing our thoughts, the spirit to renew our minds so our thoughts are occupied. But all those things just bring us to the place where we just cannot be separate. We cannot be apart from him. We were created to be united with him. We were adopted into his family. We cannot exist. We cannot live a life effectively. We cannot be the church without constantly being connected, constantly being in his presence. And these are things that we can do every day. And I, I just believe that these three simple things of spending time with Jesus, 
of allowing the Spirit to renew our mind, that our, our thoughts would be completely occupied. Our first point of call will always be towards what would Jesus do? And then bringing ourselves to a point, a decision and a discipline where we just cannot be apart from him. That we cannot spend time away from his presence. That it becomes a daily and hourly interaction with him. Not just something that happens on a Sunday. You know, I believe that as a church and as a, as a group of individuals and as a, a gathering here that we call North Lakes. That as we put these three things into place as we focus our disciplines and make the decisions to keep Jesus as the forefront of our thinking as our first love as our passion that we cannot help but be the church we cannot help but be everything that Jesus requires us and has called us to be and that as we come together as a church spending time with him renewing our minds, never being apart from his presence, that we will be the church that sees his message and his influence happen in our homes, in our streets, in our community, in this region and in this city, and that we can truly rise up and be the church. But just like the message came to Ephesus from him, these these letters were written from Jesus given to John to pass on to the churches. You know, these were real churches. These were real letters that were sent out throughout Asia Minor to these seven key churches to commend them on something, but to push them towards something better. And for Ephesus, you know, just shared in that, that, um, that video about the kind of city that it was. It was a bustling city. It was a place where everyone was coming. It was busy. It was growing. It was a, it was a seaport. It was uh, hundreds of thousands of people living there. It was described as the New York City of its day, the melting pot of the world. And as a church, they had become so busy, not doing bad works, but doing good works. And I feel that in, in our city, in our modern age, with the influences that are in all our lives, that we can so easily become busy doing good works, good things, good things like all the things that we do as a church, all the things that are important to do, all the things that we look at and, and, and realize that are good ministry, mission, all those things, all those good works. And they were never, never being chastised for doing those things. They were actually commended for the good works that they did, but they had neglected, they had forgotten, they had lost the passion for their first love. And see, those two things are critically important. They weren't told, you know, don't stop doing good works. Keep doing those, but remember the passion that you had when you first encountered Jesus. Remember what it was like that moment that day when he entered your life, when he saved you, when he healed you, when you felt his presence for the first time. How back then all you wanted to do as a new Christian, as a new follower of Christ or or someone who received a new revelation, all you wanted to do was to spend time with him, getting to know what he loved, what he wanted, getting to know more about him. Your thoughts were occupied with him. Everyone you spoke to, you were telling him about, telling them about this amazing 
man named Jesus that you just met. And thirdly, you were never wanting to be apart from his presence. You were at everything. You were doing it yourself at home, reading, studying, praying, listening to worship music. And if we as a church cannot get back to that, but make it a practice of every single day, keeping him at the forefront of our thinking, every single day spending time allowing our thoughts to be renewed, and being in his presence, then nothing can stop us from being the church. Nothing can stop us from rising up and seeing this city and beyond influenced with the message of Jesus Christ because of these people here in this room. But it all comes down to us making that first decision in this series to keep him as our first love and to keep him the most important relationship that we have in our life.